listening to the Pastor Chat Podcast, a ministry of the First Baptist Church of Dadeville. Welcome. This is episode 15 of the Pastor's Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Forrest Jones. And I am Zach Brown. And I am Ben Hayes. All right. We're going to learn about Malachi chapter one. Yes. As John would say, Malachi, the Italian prophet. (laughs) Yeah. What, you know, this is a wonderful little prophecy. uh, This, this book that, that God gave us to close out the uh, canon of the Old Testament. And I think that as God does all things well, this was, this was his plan, his purpose all along to give us this, this final word before the New Testament age was ushered in with the, the birth of Jesus. And uh, in this prophecy, you see the, the, the hope that is there, but you also see the, the wrath of God that comes from a broken heart. And, and I do believe that, that the wrath of God always comes from a broken heart. See, unlike the, the Roman mythology and the Greek mythology where the, the gods uh, love to send down judgment and cause trouble just uh, for fun and to see how human beings would react, our, our God doesn't do that. Our, our God only sends judgment as a last resort because his desire is to draw people to himself. And since he created every one of us, then he, he, do, he, needs, he doesn't need to know how we'll react. He, he already does know how we react. And and the thing I love about Malachi's prophecy, as opposed to all of the other prophecies, is that he begins with hope and he ends with hope. Well, he he begins with love and he he ends with the the promise that uh, God is going to return the hearts of the fathers to the children. And and one of the the good things as we start this study is we talk about the the love of, of the father. And we often misunderstand the Old Testament love of God. Uh, we don't get it because we think of God of the Old Testament as a different God than the God of the New Testament. Uh, in our minds, the God of the Old Testament is about wrath, and the God of the New Testament is about grace. But the word that Malachi uses uh, when, when God says, I have loved you, at the very first part of this prophecy, the, the Hebrew word is ahava, and it it really is the equivalent of the New Testament uh, word, the Greek word agape, which means uh, giving sacrificial kind of, of love. And that's the kind of love God has for his people. It's his covenant love that calls him to uh, make a commitment that he remains loyalty uh, loyal to forever. And yet, as he expresses his love for the people, uh, they respond back to him, how have you loved us? And this was not an actual conversation but this was really the actions of the people. They were responding to God by their behavior, saying, you know, prove it. You know, we, we're we hurting, we're suffering, we're struggling. Things are going wrong for us. Uh, you you must not love us because of that. They forgot about how God had, had brought their um, grandparents back from captivity in Babylon. They had forgotten about all of the, the times that God had moved in the hearts and lives of the people and, and delivered them and fought for them and all of the amazing things that he had done. And uh, so they were saying, okay, what have you done for me lately? And so he reminds them. He says, remember, I love Jacob, uh, the founder of this nation. 
And he said, I loved him to the point that if you compared it to the love that I had for Esau, the other nations, then you would see that that I love Israel. I hate everybody else, but not really a hatred. It's, it's just a comparison. I love Israel more because I've chosen you. And uh, the purpose that he's chosen them for is never understood. Uh, he chose them to be a blessing to the rest of the nations. He chose them to bring the message of hope and salvation to the rest of the nations, and they failed to, to do that. And, and I think that's that's uh, a big part of, of why the prophecies come. I think that's a big part of why the judgment comes, because every time God's people stop doing what we're supposed to be doing, we get in trouble. We start doing things we shouldn't be doing, and we find ourselves straying far from the Father and God says, look, I have loved you. I've demonstrated my love for you in so many different ways, and you have rejected that. You don't get it. I've blessed you. And uh, so I'm going to have to bring this discipline on you. And he tells him that. He says, I'm the reason that you're suffering right now. But that's what God does, even in our lives today. When he brings discipline on his children, he tells us he's doing that because his whole purpose is not to punish us. His purpose is to draw us back into that right relationship with himself. And as part of that love, as any good parent knows, there has to be a balance. Uh, there is the the love that causes us to give to our children, but then there's also the, for lack of a better word, justice that causes us to withhold from our children or to discipline our children. And that's that's not, uh, those are not opposites of each other. Those are really just different asset, uh, facets uh, of God's love. His justice is part of his love because just as much as he wants to reward the righteous because of his love, he has to uh, bring judgment on the wicked. And so as he does this, as he talks to the children of Israel and reminds them of the reason that they're going through this, he says, look, I loved you. I gave you every opportunity to flourish, and I've judged the other nations, uh, and, and now it's your turn. Uh, they believed that judgment was supposed to come. They just never thought it was going to come upon them. But here's the thing, and this is what I want us to understand in our 21st century American culture, is that while God is a lover of all people, he is also the judge of all people and of all nations. And every nation that rejects God uh, faces his judgment. And uh, that's that's where we are today. I, I think we are uh, in the midst of God's discipline of his church. I think we're in the midst of his judgment of this nation. And I believe that the only hope that we have is to understand our purpose and responsibility and return to the Father, turn our hearts back to him and uh, see the the great awakening that uh, he he talks about at the end of the the prophecy, the spiritual awakening that calls the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the hearts of the children back to the Father. And without that, there is no hope and there is no help. But that's what we're supposed to be doing. That's what the, the message is about. The love of God is there, and His love is so great that it calls us to respond to Him with that same kind of love. And in loving God, we're to obey Him. That obedience means that we are to go and make disciples, just like Jesus told us in the Great Commission. So that's uh, that's where we are. Yeah, I know you mentioned the idea that there are those that say the God, the the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament, and um, yeah, I think that's one of the things that I've been really convicted about is 
that statement is usually coming from a place of ignorance. We've kind of heard this and it's kind of a caricature of God more so than it is that someone saying that really has read his word and seen what the God of the Old Testament, I air quote that because it's not a correct thing to say, but, um, you know, having looked at the Old Testament, then you see that God is God and there's no quote unquote God of the Old Testament, God of the New Testament, because you'll see that God is very merciful in the Old Testament. You know, we, we tend to focus on the times that he said he met out destruction or, you know, um, judgment on people. And we ignore all the times that people deserved <laughs> judgment placed on them, but it never happened that God showed them mercy uh, over and over. I, I always joked when I was a police officer and said, you know, if you're driving and you get pulled over for speeding and, and you know, because that's the thing. When you become a police officer, it ruins every party or get together you ever go to. <laughs> because this is what happens. Everybody goes around the circle, like, oh, what do you do? What do you do? Oh, yeah. What's your, what do you do? I, I, I work for the city. What do you do for the city? I, I'm a police officer. Oh, I got pulled over one time. And then everyone in the room has to tell you every time they ever got a speeding ticket. <laughs> and so let me just go ahead and give you the blanket advice I would have given you a few years ago, which is uh, pay the ticket. And just accept the fact that you got a ticket for the one time you got caught out of the thousands of times you broke the speed limit. And yet that's what we do. Like we look at the one time, like, I can't believe he gave me a ticket. I was only going 15 over the speed limit in the school zone. I mean, yeah, there's construction, but it's no big deal. I don't know why he pulled me over that time. And we ignore the fact that we have sped every time we got behind the wheel for the last however long since we were 16 years old and stopped riding with our parents. Yeah. it's the same way. We, we kind of look at the Old Testament and we focus on those times that God doesn't look merciful to us. And we say, oh, look, that's, that's that scary Old Testament God. Well, you know, and, and the funny thing is you'll have somebody who will, will, will quote the verse that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, and that's what the Bible says, that, that he, is, he is unchanging. It is the same God. And yet, in the next breath, they'll talk about that the God that we worship is a God of love and grace. He's not like that Old Testament God who was that God of wrath. But uh, sadly, for for those people, the New Testament reveals that he's a God of wrath just like he was in the Old Testament. Fortunately for the children of Israel, the Old Testament reveals that he was the God of love just as he is for us in the New Testament. Yeah, I think that's such a good point and just realizing that God is the same and that, um, you know, when you read scripture, if we're honest, if any of us read scripture, there's going to be things that when we read them, we go, Ooh, man, that's, I don't know that I love that. And then we're going to find some other sections of scripture that we really love. It's probably going to be the times where God shows grace to people that don't deserve kindness because we like that. We like for it to be given to us that way. Um, but at the same time, God is a God of justice. Yes. And, and God does work to correct us um, just as a parent has to. Um, it's that idea of what is loving. And I know we've mentioned it before, but that idea of it's not loving to let your child do whatever they want all the time. Yeah. That That's not loving. That's basically just being lazy. 
But when it comes to God, it's the same way that if he just let us, you know, so often we want a God that just says, whatever you want, that's what I want to give you. You know, we're just going to, the cosmic vending machine of give me whatever I want when I want it. And, and don't ever say that shouldn't do something. But you know, the, the, uh, the enemy, Satan himself has, has done a great job of, of marketing. Uh, we don't like to talk about it that way, but that's exactly what he's done in that uh, we have fallen prey to the mentality that, that God is a big genie that will grant us three wishes, or he is, um, you know, just this, this uh, um, powerful being that uh, we can uh, lay hold of, and he's going to answer all of our uh, questions and give us everything that we want. And, and we watch television shows, and we, we get these impressions in our minds that this is who God is, and it's nothing like what the Bible says that God is. You know, the the 92nd Psalm, I did my uh, de- devotional on that this morning and uh, really didn't do much of a job with it because uh, uh, it just happened at a bad time. But it, it tells us that that God will do so much for his people, but it's based on our relationship with him. It's based on us being obedient to him. It's based on our faithfulness to him. And really what it's telling us is he's going to take care of us. Now, what does that mean? Well, that means that when we get the disease, he's going to be with us. When we have the accident, he's going to be with us. And it may come to the point that when uh, the time comes, we're going to die, but he's going to be with us and he'll walk with us through that. And that's what we've got to to understand. God's plan is so different than, than our plan. His thoughts are so different than our thoughts. And we just can't wrap our minds around the fact that sometimes disease is a part of God's plan. Sometimes death is a part of God's plan. We were not created to live in this body forever. Yeah, and you you talking about that kind of got me thinking. Um, so this is going to be bad because I'm, I'm the one married to an English teacher and, and she teaches middle schoolers this all the time and I hear her studying, but I can't think of the word. What is it called when, like when you're writing and you give something inanimate, um, like the characteristics of a living thing? What is that? What is that called? Do y'all remember? I don't know, but side note real quick. If when you're saying this, if you say, how do you say it in English? Then you sound bilingual and you don't sound like you can't remember the right word. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll, I'll put yeah. that. How do you say it in English? You know, the, An- the anthropomorphizing. Yes. There we go. Yeah, That's it. Yeah. So hearing you, hearing you talk, and just thinking about like so often, you know, the way we view God. I, I feel like you know, going back to all the times in my you know in my undergrad when I'd have to write papers and I would get get points taken off for you know, did a book really say that? Like those those kinds of things. I feel like so often one of the the reasons that things like this is hard for us to understand is because we tend to give God, who is an eternal, you know, holy being, human characteristics yes, that we can understand. Yes, yes. Because I mean, I mean, let's just be honest. You know, really thinking on the person of God can be a, a daunting task if 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 we really want to try and understand Him. And so, I think sometimes it's easier for us to kind of give Him these human attributes, which makes it, in a sense, easier for us to understand Him. 
But what it really does is it is it takes this all-powerful God and puts him in a little box of our vocabulary. And so when we when we see these things, again, the God of the Old Testament isn't a God of judgment, while the God of a new of the New Testament is a God of love. The God of the Bible is a God who is a holy God. And and when, when we really see this, when we see him casting out judgment, it is a holy God casting a holy judgment. And when we see him loving, it is a holy God casting out a holy love. But but yeah. at the end of this, you know, or, or at, at the core of all of this, I, I think part of it is we just have a hard time, you know, remembering that that God is holy and we are not. And, and it's okay if we don't understand this, because again, we see through the Old Testament, yeah, we see all of the the, the judgment of God and you know, you you go and you read through the the Pentateuch and you read through all of the laws and all of the all of these things, these these high demands of God. And then you you go to the New Testament and we have this this picture of of, of God in the flesh as as this, you know, white savior with flowy hair and and, and all this who, who's pretty and holds lambs and plays with kids and all this stuff. But 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 at, at the heart of it, these are the same holy God. And, and in the Old Testament, we see God's love displayed. And in the New Testament, we see God's judgment displayed. It's just, you know, praise God, we don't see it displayed on us as much as on the body of Christ, which is the whole point of the, the Gospels. It, we do see God's judgment in the New Testament. It's just, I, I think that at least in my in myself, the more I learn and the more I look at it, the more I realize I kind of have a disconnect oftentimes with remembering that God is simply holy and everything then comes out of that. Yeah, I think that's a good point, Zach. We have, as you said, we've taken God and we've recreated him in our own image. We have uh, put him in a box that we can comprehend, a box that we can understand, because otherwise he'd be too scary for us to even think about approaching. Uh, because it, just imagine, uh, you, you talked about the the fact that it's a holy love and it's a holy judgment. Think about that. The absolute power behind both of those. We couldn't take it. If God poured out his holy love on us, uh, unfiltered, uh, we'd be overwhelmed. There's no way we could handle that in, in our human flesh. And uh, so what we've done is instead of recognizing that we are so far less than he is, uh, we've brought him down to our level. Yeah, I think that's been one of the things in my seminary classes that I've really enjoyed the most was when in the systematic theology classes, we kind of took a look at the different attributes of God. And they just said, you know, there's going to be things that we we share that, that God has given us a tiny dose of what he has and that we can be loving and we can be somewhat smarter, but comprehending that idea that any good aspect about us, we get that from God, but we're getting just a finite, tiny little grain of sand compared to his greatness and how much more he is. You know, he's all of those things perfectly and that, you know, we're not. And so, yeah, we, we take him, and try and shrink him down and make him in our image. Um, you know, we, we see this all the time. We, we make the Bible about ourselves. We make um, God about us. We make him look like us or, or, or you know, whatever it is. Um, 
you know, kind of one of the most common phrases you'll hear is when people say things like, well, I just don't think God would insert whatever, you know, I mean, which is very different than what you hear us saying right now of saying, there's going to be things that you're never going to fully comprehend sickness, calamity, all these kind of things that we have to acknowledge God is God of, he can control everything. So you can't just say, well, none of that has anything to do with God. God is this high and mighty being and and none of that has anything to do with God. We have to acknowledge if God wanted the coronavirus to have been gone the first day it happened, he could have made that happen. Why he did not, we don't know. And we have to acknowledge that fact that we trust in him and that there is an aspect where he wants us dependent on him because um, he knows that otherwise we would just run off and try and take care of our own lives and it would be a horrible failure. Um, But a lot of times we kind of approach the Bible and we approach especially the attributes of God with that idea of, well, I don't think God would be like X, Y, or Z, or I don't think God would do this, or I don't. And then we approach the Bible with that technique, you know, and I've heard some some pastors joke before that some people, instead of having highlighters for their Bible, they have black Sharpies. <laughs> and they just, well, I don't really like that verse, so we're just going to go and take that one out. And uh, before you know it, there's not much left because all they, they want is a, a, this idea, you know, of I've got this idea of what I want God to be. I'll trim all the rest of the scriptures out that don't fit that, and I'll end up with what I want in the end, which isn't a relationship with Christ. You know, and, and one of our problems is that that we tend to go from one extreme to the other because the, the opposite of what you've just talked about is is true as well. Um, uh, in, in all of the, the times that I have counseled couples who have, been going through difficulties because one of the, the the spouses had an affair. Ultimately, you know, especially when it comes to the the wife, she says, "Yeah, I can I can never trust him again." You know, and then she begins to look at God as the same thing as her husband in, in that same way. I can never trust him again. A child who is molested at a young age, and then they can't consider God as a father because all they can imagine is that that's what God would do. So, so many times, rather than saying, you know, I, God would never do that, the other side of that is too many times we say, well, God is just like us, and he makes the same mistakes that we do. And uh, we've got to be very careful because God is perfect, as you say. God is holy. And God is everything that we are, but he's also everything that we're not. Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. I think you, you hit on a good illustration earlier, the idea that we, if we're not careful, we'll slip into that kind of Roman or Greek God idea that the Trinity is somehow the, th- the three people in heaven deciding, let's randomly throw lightning bolts today or or, or any of that kind of stuff, as opposed to seeing God as this holy God that even when things are bad and things are happening to us that we don't understand, is still working things for our good and for his glory. Yeah. Um, One thing I I heard this morning, I was listening to a sermon, and uh, I thought it was just a great illustration so I'll use it here so that I don't later use it in the sermon. So just remind me later when I try to use it again. Uh, 
he said that he had the opportunity to meet Denzel Washington. It went to something and um, afterwards it was like a meet and greet and you could go up and get your picture taken. He said the closer he got, the more he realized um, the way it worked, you walked up to the front and you could stand next to Denzel and get your picture taken. Well, there actually was a barrier. There was a fence between the two. You just, he would lean over the fence and you kind of lean next to each other and they would take the picture. And then he said, and then I got closer and realized on Denzel's side of the fence, there were like a whole bunch of bodyguards and Billy Burley guys with guns. And then you were on the other side of the fence. And he said, now, if you looked at the picture, you know, if you looked at it from Instagram or something, you'd be like, man, he knows Denzel. That's pretty awesome. He's like, I don't know him at all. We actually, yeah, we stood next to each other for a second, but there was even a barrier between us. There was no relationship. We don't know each other at all. He said, unfortunately, that's often the way it is with us and Jesus. And that we have people who have been around Jesus, mm. but there's still a barrier there. There's still, there was never a relationship. It's just an appearance. And then at the end of life, they go on their separate way and you end up with that idea where Jesus says, depart, I knew you not, you know? Yeah. And, and I think that's the thing you're talking about, like how we, we look at God and how that can affect things. You know, if we're not careful, um, we can think, well, if we play all these games, we do all this a certain way, then, yeah, that's what everybody's talking about when they're talking about that they, you know, believe in Christ and you miss out completely on the relationship, which is what we're really talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I think because of our culture in America, we have become uh, oriented to the end of the journey, the goal, uh, the prize. And, and so we always focus on, on the result when what God wants us to, to do is to focus on the journey itself, step by step, day by day, moment by moment. Don't get caught up in in what's going to happen 10 years from now or 10 seconds from now, but focus on what's going on right now. And, of course, if, if you, you've got the kind of personality that, that I have, you're constantly thinking about what's coming up next week, what's coming up next month, what's coming up next year, what's coming up five years from now, and uh, what do I need to do to prepare for that? And it's too easy when you do that to miss out on the most meaningful opportunities and the most important aspects of, of what this life is all about. And kind of, you know, wrapping up, looking at, at this first half, really looking at, at God's love, it, it got me thinking your illustration yesterday about like Hallmark movies and stuff like that. Um, you know, it's not too far of a stretch to be careful um, for man cards out on the table here. <laughs> no, out <laughs> no it, it, it's not much of a stretch for, for people now to know that like, I'm a big John Mark McMillan fan, you know, he's one of my, one of my favorite artists. Um, and he wants at one at one of his shows, um, in introducing his wife and they, they did some of their songs together. Um, he was talking about this idea of love and, and the way he worded it just really kind of resonated with me um, in talking about that kind of hallmark type of love. Um, he referred to it as like a, a novelty love. Like it's something that, that, that is easy. It's, it's something that, that can be you know reproduced easy. It's just something that can be kind of mass marketed this idea of love, but, but at the heart of it, when you really take a step back and look at it, that novelty kind of love 
is about an inch deep. Yeah. Um, and, and it's not a love that is ever going to sustain. It's not a love that is going to be deep. It's just a very surface level thing compared to um, talking. You know, I mean, he was, you know, referencing this to love within a marriage, but um, but I, I feel the same could be said here, especially with all of the New Testament, you know, allegories mm. for for love and marriage and all this. Um, he, he said that, that there's a big difference between um, novelty and intimacy. Um, he said novelty is something that, again, is very easy. It's very quick, but it's very shallow compared to you have um, you have the other kind of love, which is intimacy, which is something that is really hard. It is something that that is is very hard to to get because in order to get from novelty to intimacy, it takes work and it takes effort, yeah. uh, and, and it takes really working on those things. and And I think that that oftentimes we we get this picture of God's love as that kind of you know flowery hallmark kind of kind of love when when really the love of God is so much deeper than that. Um, it, it is something that is very, a, a very intentional love. Uh, it's not something that that's just kind of, kind of cast out, uh, but it, it's something that, that is really authentic. Um, and I feel like a lot of times we miss that because you, know, you said earlier, um, it, in order to get into that authentic love, it requires both of us being willing to participate in that. I mean, we see the love that God has bestowed on us, but at the same time, we see, you mentioned yesterday, you know, John 3, 16 says God loved the whole world, but we see so many people who are actively choosing to not partake in that love that he has given them and giving their love other places, giving their love to other things, to other people. And, and compared to really being intentional on growing in that, that love and helping our understanding moving from a place to where God's love isn't just some 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 hallmark you know trope, but but the the love of God is a real deep and true love that's that that's truer than than really our grasp of love apart from Him. I wish we'd had this conversation last week when I was working on this message. We we maybe need to move the <laughs> podcast up to before the message. Because that, I mean, that just opened up a whole new uh, arena as I was thinking about what you're talking about, the, the novelty kind of love uh, as opposed to intimacy. Because what God was looking for from his people was the intimacy kind of love. What they were looking for from God was the novelty kind of love. What What have you done for me lately? Mm -hmm. What What have you given me today? How have you blessed me today? Why aren't you taking care of me now? And and that speaks volumes to who we are as Christians as well. Just think about your prayer life. What What does your prayer life look like? Do you spend any time in your prayer life just thanking Him for who He is and and praising Him for who He is? Or do you spend all of your time asking God to do things? Because that's the that's the novelty kind of love as opposed to the intimacy. So that's an extremely good point. Yeah, I think that's where, you know, I know you mentioned yesterday the idea of like covenants and that God is making a covenant with his people. And when we look at marriage, that's what marriage is. It's a covenant. It's a deeper relationship than just, uh, you know, um, ooey gooey love. You know, we can... 
you can fall out of that, but God wanted this to be a covenant relationship where they're bonded together. Um, you know, and I, and I think in my own marriage about the things that at this point, I'm sure if I went back, if I could go back and look at myself as a newlywed, there'd be so many things that I would be like, man, I have changed so much and I didn't even realize it because when you're on that intimate level, you are changing each other. You are yes. growing into a new thing. Um, and that's what it should be happening with God and his people, that his people are growing more like him every day through those, you know, your, your spiritual disciplines, your prayer life and your, your Bible reading and that idea of, yeah, are we doing the work in that relationship? Because it is a relationship. If we treated our marriages the same way we treated our spiritual walk, our divorce rate would be even higher. I mean, because um, I think there is, you, you mentioned the idea that they're coming to God with, well, what have you done for me lately? Yeah. And the flip side of that is in a, in a covenant, you know, marriage relationship, we should be doing stuff all the time for each other. The same way God does. God is constantly doing things for us. And it's easy in marriage to start thinking that you, know, you can, you can slip into that idea of, well, they haven't done anything for me lately. Why, why haven't they anything? When in re- reality, they're probably doing tons of stuff and you're just not paying attention because you've got in your mind that they're not doing stuff for you. Um, you know, we do the same thing with God. We come at him and say, well, what have you done for me lately? Not realizing that every day he is doing so much for us, um, but it's our perspective that, that is wrong. Um, it made me laugh though because... I always joke that that's Karen's catchphrase is what have you done for me lately? Yeah. Because we, we had a, a mini farm at one point and uh, she was like, I don't mind any animal that does something for us. She, we had pigs and stuff and she was okay with those because you could later put them in the freezer. But the idea of like a house dog, we, we it's, it's been an adjustment having a house dog now because Karen's like, what have you done for me lately? And you ain't doing nothing laying in my living room, getting hair everywhere. <laughs> yeah, they don't they don't lay eggs. They don't provide milk. Oh, they don't yeah. give you bacon. Oh, so. she was all about all those animals. Yeah. If we could have chickens and still waters, she'd be all about it. But And and thinking about the, this as well kind of brought me back to, to James 1. Um, in James 1, 22 going on, it says, uh, be doers of the word, not hearers only deceiving yourself. That, that part right there, it says, because um, if anyone is a hearer and not a doer, he's like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. He looks at it, goes away and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. Um, and so, and I might be completely off base with this, but but those two things kind of were circling around in my head of this idea of, you know, how can these people, God's chosen people, be be so I don't know, proud or arrogant or whatever, to be able to look at God and say, what have you done for me lately? Um, when in, in reality, what are they doing in their lives that is reflecting God daily in their lives? Because again, just like James says, if, if all we do is sit there and we just take in and we never are displaying and we're never doing and acting on the word, then we're going to be like somebody who looks at ourselves in a mirror, sees what we look like, walks away and immediately forgets what we look like. And I wonder how much of that is, you know, times in our lives when, when we're having a hard time grasping, you know, that love and we're looking at God saying, 
know, kind of pointing the finger at him and saying, you know, what are you doing for me right now? Where are you in this in this time right now? You know, you could have stopped this. Why didn't you? Those kinds of things. You know, why why aren't you loving me? Like, how often is it just simply that because our lives and and our hearts and our eyes aren't affixed to to actively doing the 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 commands of Scripture and living out that life? It, it's not that God's not loving us. It's just that our eyes are not focused on the gospel. And so we're not seeing the things because we're looking in a completely different direction. Kind of wrapping all this up. Like you said at the very beginning, this is really kind of a love story. Now it's got a lot of judgment in here in the middle, but he starts off talking about this love and we're going to end it that way. But I think today just shows the idea that it, this is all so intertwined yeah. that we can look at the way we live our Christian life, the way we view God, the way marriage works. And these are all things that God created, knowing that they would all point to him. Yeah, you know, like that your marriage, the reason it was created was because God instituted marriage as a reflection of him so that we could have a little touch of that. And that knowing that that marriage relationship, that covenant, that most intimate of relationships would be a perfect way for us to see what it should be like. Well, a tiny flawed representation of, of our relationship with Christ. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I think we're going to continue looking at this book, but the idea that God does love us mm-hmm. and we've got to be honest, that's not because we are lovable but that's because he is a great God that is so much more perfect and loving than we ever can imagine. Um, And that, you know, the the great thing is he gave us his word because he wants us to know him. Yeah. And there will always be things that we will not fully comprehend, but one day we will get to stand before him. We will get to have a real relationship. There'll be no barriers or anything between us, but we'll stand there as his children. And, and, that's a great thing for us. Yep. Very true. All right. Is uh, it my turn now to, uh, to to draw from the basket? Uh, sure. Sure. Right. We don't remember whose turn it is, so. I don't know. One of us never takes a turn, so. Well, one of us talks too much anyways. <laughs> All right. So, um, okay. Would you rather carry the Ark of the Covenant across the Jordan River or carry Jesus's cross to Golgotha? Well, my first question is, do we have the poles for the Ark of the Covenant first? <laughs> exactly what I was thinking. Um, but I, I, gee, man. Yeah, so the, the kicker does come in the idea that if you don't carry the Ark properly, you'll end up dead. And since none of us are from the tribe of Levi. That's another problem. Yeah. And before you think, oh, I know what we'll do. We'll put it on a cart. How'd that work out for him? Yeah. Just throwing that out there. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd have to go with the, ugh, oh, man, I don't know. That's a tough one. I'd probably. Well, I, I would say cross because we're supposed to pick up our cross daily. And because we know that God did that willingly for us. 
Yeah. That's a good spiritual answer. <laughs> <laughs> we would say that's a Sunday school answer, but we're not really having Sunday school right now. So that just shows the difference between us. My my thought was one will get you in a in a in a nineties worship song and one will help you fight the Nazis, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, Dr. Jones, Dr. Jones. <laughs> All right. Well, Brother Ben, we know we're gonna be in Malachi again, but uh any of what we're going to find out next week. Yeah, guys, uh, this is not good news for us. We're going to be talking about ministry malpractice. Uh, color me intrigued and terrified. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of... Uh, you remember all those times I was saying that my mama taught me every time you point a finger at somebody, you got three pointing back at you. Just imagine they're God-sized fingers. <laughs> Sorry, uh, I had the middle image, middle image of a gigantic foam, like the number one fan finger. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, we're going to wrap that up with that terrible idea of mine. Um, we hope you've enjoyed this episode, and we will see you again next week.